Mike Seibert Radio is an independently produced podcast. The views and opinions expressed are those of the host and the guests only and do not necessarily reflect those of any other broadcasting entities that either have been, am now, or will be affiliated with. Welcome back to Mike Seibert Radio. I am your host. This is the podcast radio show where I talk about stuff and things that are on my mind every week. If you want to get a hold of me, you can find me at Mike Seibert Radio on Twitter and Instagram. And the mailbag is MikeSeibertRadio at gmail.com. And guess what? The world didn't end. I know. Who knew? Um, did you hear about that earlier this week? Um, apparently, Saturday was supposed to have been the end of the world. Um, yeah, apparently, according to a Christian numerologist, a planet called Nibiru, Nibiru, I don't know, um, that was supposed to crash into the Earth based on some mathematical sequence of Bible verses. Yeah, sounds a whole lot like the sweet meteor of death by way of the Da Vinci Code to me. Um, Though I'm not sure that Tom Hanks' terrible hair could save us there. Anyway, I digress. Um, I've got a really fun double-length episode for you this week uh, where I'm definitely going to get into the highlights of my recent vacation. Let's say China. You've been writing in all week with some great questions for me about my trip, and I'll be answering those as well. China. But that's not all. I've uh, I've missed talking to you these past couple weeks, and I've got a few things I want to share with you, including a pair of... Of cool new music videos that came out while I was gone, and later I've got the latest meme that's gone all kinds of viral. Stop the hammering! But you might be surprised about my take on it. All of that and more on this all new episode of Mike Seibert Radio. But first. Shout it, shout it. Shoutouts are pretty quiet this week. Um, since I was on vacation, I haven't really been all that active in the community, but um, I, I do want to thank everybody that wished me a happy birthday back on the 15th. Um, I, I really appreciate that. That was really, really cool. Um, the other thing I wanted to call attention to this week is a video I saw on YouTube called Really That Good Transformers the Movie. I mean, really, what what else do you expect from me? It's me, after all. Um, really That Good is an independent movie bob production. It's a, um, it's a new kind of film criticism series built around the radical premise that just because, quote-unquote, everyone knows a movie is a classic doesn't mean it stops being worth a deeper look. Um, so here's what the write-up says. Uh, Transformers the movie debuted in 1986 to scathing reviews and a less-than-transformative box office performance. After all, it was essentially a 90-minute toy commercial whose target audience was already getting its fix on TV for free. But home video and regular TV play combined with the enduring popularity of the Transformers brand and the shocking, however marketing-driven, decision to kill off many of the most popular original characters made it a pop culture staple for a whole generation of fans. Many of whom today regard it as a cult classic. But is it? Um... Where some merely see a cynical feature-length commercial highlighted by oddball voice casting, inconsistent animation, and some of the cheesiest 80s heavy metal ever recorded, many devout fans insist it all somehow adds up to something more, and its enduring popularity suggests that they may have a point. There's a thousand things wrong with Transformers the movie, but if a whole generation still claims to be sincerely captivated by its strangely hypnotic, bizarre visual aesthetic, caught up in its surreally serious sci-fi melodramatics, and moved to tears by the death of Optimus Prime, are they wrong? 
Where does authorial intent, in this case to make a toy commercial, give way to audience perception in determining which creative works get to matter? Is Transformers the movie really that good? And I got to tell you, this is one of the most intelligent and thoroughly articulate discussions on why this movie is so important to so many people, uh, myself included. You know, um, you know, over on the uh, Countdown Movie and TV Reviews podcast, I'm I'm the guy that submits Transformers the movie for every uh, every countdown that I can. Um, it's my favorite movie, and watching this video, it's a lot of those points resonated with me, and there were a few things that I hadn't necessarily even considered myself, um, even being a fan of it uh, 30 years on. Um, fascinating watch um there's a there's a link in the show notes if you'd like to check it out um again highly recommended and uh, when i when i tweeted it i put if anybody is wondering why this movie is so important to me and why i'm so bonkers about it um this this will provide some insight Coming up next, I'm going to answer your questions about my trip to China. But first, the brand new music video from local band Flicker and Fade dropped while I was on vacation. Now, I know the guys have been working really, really hard on it, and I think it turned out really, really well. It's um, it's pretty rad. Off of their debut EP, Start a Fire, it's a song called Tension. And this is Mike Seibert Radio. Don't go away. Push and pull that makes 
Oh yeah, that was Tension, the new single from Flicker and Fade, and you're listening to Mike Seibert Radio. Um, the video for that song is out now, and you can find a link to it in the show notes. Speaking of Flicker and Fade, uh, they uh, they recently announced their new show here in Seattle. Um, that is going to be on Friday, October 20th at the Rendezvous, uh, featuring Flicker and Fade along with Waking Things and St. John's Prophets. Um, I'm stoked for that show. I'm going to go this time because I missed the last show with uh, Flicker and Fade and I want to support my homies. Um, And uh, I'm not working that Saturday. So uh, I'd like to encourage you to go as well. It's going to be a whole lot of fun. Uh, Flicker and Fade is awesome. Uh, Formerly These Young Fools, I, I really enjoyed watching them develop into this sick new band that they are. And uh, Waking Things always brings the heat. Uh, they're they're a huge favorite of mine as well. Um, and I'm really interested to see what uh, St. John's Prophets is all about. I'm not as uh, um, familiar with their music, but I'm I'm stoked to get into it. Um, so yeah, yeah, fun times. Hey everyone, this is Beaumont Bob from Bung with Bobcat. You can listen to me live every Monday night at 10 p.m. Eastern at sfdradio.com, where I'm bringing you the best of the worst in cheap booze, talking bum wine, beers, 40s, malt liquor, and more. Always featuring the latest and greatest in the world of drinking and entertainment, along with some special guests. So come on down and take a ride with Bumwine Bob. If you can't be there live, you can always listen in the archives at bumwinebob.com. So sit back, relax, grab a drink, and enjoy. Cheers. In a world where Jay comes up with the plot lines to all your favorite movies. Is this a, it's about like a bunch of kids. I think they're like, they don't have parents or anything. They all live in a house together or something. Like a tree house. Their watch is like a, you know, laser beam and their pen shoots rockets and all that kind of spy stuff, you know? And they have like, like gang fights or something. Probably a nerd that can drink a lot. There was like a wizard guy that controlled them. And he gets a bunch of people to be in his porn movie. And then the guy goes to... You know, actually do the deed on camera and you can't get it up or something. And, and they go dance with some Catholic chicks or something at a school. They, like fight the other kids. Some kind of bad drug deal gone wrong. The guy from Ferris Bueller's Day Off is trying to break into the martial arts scene. An underground fighting ring in Asia somewhere. So, I don't know. Some weird shit, man. Hopefully not coming to a theater near you. Poop culture, yeah, it's a poop culture. Your guide to cinema etiquette for the Countdown Movie and TV Reviews Podcast. Tip 21. If your portable telephone rings whilst you're enjoying a film, it is a dick move to answer your telephone and speak at a normal volume during the screening. Instead, exit the cinema and return the call in private. It should have been off anyway, fuckhead! For more useful cinema etiquette, join Paul and Wayne on the Countdown Movie and TV Reviews podcast at Podomatic on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. China. So as you already know, I've recently returned from an epic adventure vacation in China. My wife and I, along with a couple friend of ours, uh, the uh, the four of us. Um, so rather than just having this be like a, you know, hey, look at all of my vacation photos. I thought what I would do instead is throw it out to you. I, uh, you know, on uh, Twitter and Instagram out at Mike Seibert Radio. I asked um, if you guys had any questions for me about the trip. So um, I think I'm going to start with that, but then I'll also kind of, you know, go over some of the highlights and things like that. And we'll uh, we'll see where that takes us. So our uh, uh, first question comes from uh, an old buddy of mine, uh, Bjorn Anders. Um, he uh, he asked me, did you walk there? 
crying face emoji, dot, 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 that was terrible. You know, I should probably also mention that Bjorn uh, spelled it walk, W-O-K. Um, so, <laughs> so here's the deal. We, um, we, we did not walk there. We, we traveled by plane and it was, uh, it was actually really cool because it was a, a nonstop flight from Seattle to Beijing, our, uh, our first city. Um, but what was even more interesting than that is that we, uh, we got this trip through a, uh, travel agency where, where basically everything was all inclusive, you know, including flights, hotel, uh, guided tours, uh, excursions, uh, things like that. It was, it was this huge package deal. Um, because I mean, that, that was another thing that folks had asked me, uh, before I left was, uh, well, why China? Is it on your bucket list? And, and for me, no, absolutely not. I'm terrified of international travel. So up until the day we left, probably even when I was on the plane, I was still, um, pretty sure that we were going to get marched off into a cargo container where I'd be living out the rest of my days. You know, my friends were picking on me saying that I thought I was going to end up working in the rice paddies, but, um, uh, but no, I, I'm, I'm fearful of international travel. I think maybe I've seen one too many Liam Neeson's movies. I don't know. Um, uh, but anyway, so, but, but what enticed us was one, our friends were interested and the price. It was it was a screaming deal. So we thought, well, you know, screaming deal for a once in a lifetime opportunity. Sure, let's uh, let's do that. So so that was kind of the origin of how we. Um uh, went to go on the trip to begin with, but I want to talk about the uh, the uh, plane ride a little bit because I had uh, I had mentioned that we flew straight through from SeaTac uh, to Beijing. It's a 12-hour flight with a 15-hour time difference. So what that means is we left Friday afternoon. And we arrived Saturday afternoon. So basically, through uh, time travel, we kind of essentially lost Saturday and then got up Sunday morning and kind of uh, started our adventure. Uh, but the other thing I wanted to mention about that is um, I, I had said that we were part of a larger tour group. There were about 38 of us at the at the uh, uh, height, the most people that we had um, from all kinds of different parts of uh, the country. Uh, a lot of people traveling from Canada. I think we were only uh, the the four of us, uh, two couples, my wife and I and our uh, friends. I think we were in the minority of people that were actually traveling from America. A lot of a lot of Canadian travelers. But the thing that I found the most fascinating is that you know we obviously live in Seattle. We flew out of SeaTac. Um, our group, the four of us, we were the only people from Seattle, meaning everybody else of those 38 people flew from somewhere else to SeaTac to fly to Beijing. And that that just kind of blew my mind a little bit. Um, you know, it's it, it's the first time I had been on a flight for that long. I think previously the longest flight I had been on was um, a six-hour flight to Hawaii. And, you know, I... I I don't travel very well. I get, um, I'm fidgety and I get really, really fussy. Um, my wife and I took a, a lengthy road trip, um, oh gosh, over 10 years ago now. Um, but through that trip, you know, when you travel with somebody, you discover things about your partner and yourself. We discovered on that trip that my max is about six hours. I could travel for about six hours, whether we're alternating drivers or taking stops or doing whatever. Regardless, I'd hit the wall at about six hours of straight travel. I'd be like, nope, I think I just need to go to a hotel now and just stop moving. I was kind of a turkey butt back then. Actually, you know, I, I really haven't gotten any better. But, um, you know, I, I would fly for six hours to Hawaii and did relatively okay with it. Probably drank a little too much, but but I blame first class, you know, uh, Hawaiian Airlines and just continuing to pour drinks. That's, that's not my fault. 
Um, anyway, the, this time we flew uh, Hainan Airlines, and you know, decent sized plane. Um, uh, it was it was an Airbus of some kind, so I don't know what it was, but it had um, it was a large enough plane to where you could kind of sort of stretch out a little bit, but not really. It was pretty cramped, um, but. I didn't think I was going to be okay with the 12-hour flight, and to my surprise, I was, because what I also found is they had a relatively decent entertainment system. I'll talk about some of the stuff I watched um, a little later, but basically I threw on a couple movies, a few TV shows, and just kind of seemed to zone out, and that actually really kind of seemed to um, do the trick for me. Um, But no, Bjorn, we we, uh, we did not walk there, and I know you keep saying that Boba Fett sucks, but I don't care. I think he's cool, so I'm just going to leave it there. <laughs> um, our uh, uh, next question comes from Liar. Uh, they are a band out of Ireland uh, that I've corresponded with uh, uh, here and there, and they ask, uh, was the food as good as good old-fashioned American Chinese food? I bet it wasn't. You know what? And you would be correct. Um, I want to talk about the food a little bit. Um, So, obviously, it's not what you would consider to be stereotypical American Chinese food. They're, um, you know, it's not like going to Panda Express and getting orange chicken or the bourbon chicken from the uh, uh, from the mall Chinese place. It wasn't like that at all. Um, but I want to talk about how the uh, meals that we were served, or, or how our meals were served, because a lot of our uh, lunches and dinners were provided by the tour company. And basically what they would do is our our large group uh, in a bus, we would uh, go to the restaurant and these uh, restaurant complexes were vast, often with uh, several floors. Like you would go in into a large room on like the third floor and it would be full of round tables um, with a lazy Susan in the middle. And, uh, you know, with the size of our group, we would generally have like uh, three to four tables. So we would kind of spread out and mingle and make new friends. But what they would do is they would bring out um, uh, like uh, only a couple dishes at a time. So like they would bring out some noodles. They'd bring some vegetables. They would bring some rice. Um, But the staples of pretty much every meal that we had, they would uh, give us uh, two bottles of beer, which were... um, you know what what uh, beer drinkers connoisseurs would consider to be really watery and probably kind of pissy uh, like one of them was Sing Tao um, a beer I've had before but you know what on a really hot day when it's been 80 degrees and muggy and you're gross and dehydrated and all of that other stuff that uh, that cold Sing Tao is actually pretty good and kind of hits the spot uh, but yeah it was a wide variety of watery Chinese beers um, half of which we never really knew what it was because we don't read Chinese. Um, But yeah, no, it was uh, two bottles of beer and a bottle of soda. Um, You know, generally Coke. um, Other times it would be Sprite. Um, But it was pretty cool because like these would be Coke and Sprite like we have here in the States or in Canada. Um, But, you know, the label would be in Chinese, which I which I thought was really cool. But no, in terms of what the food actually was, was it was um as you would imagine a lot of steamed stuff you know whether it was vegetables or meats um more vegetables and noodles than anything i think they served us plates of rice just because we're tourists i've heard that native chinese don't eat a lot of rice but based upon my experience i didn't really get a chance to see uh, whether that holds up or not but yeah lots of noodles lots of vegetables lots Lots of stuff that steamed a lot of stuff that was good um but i i aside from one of the meals that i'll talk about um in a little bit um i i don't think there was anything that really blew my hair back we're um the the tours that we were on it was it was an endurance challenge 
we would uh, we would leave the hotel at like eight o'clock in the morning, and we would get on the bus, and the bus would take us all around to all of these different attractions, you know, all these different excursions, all of these uh, other things that we would see, and we would be gone all ding dong day and we would get home uh, back to the hotel at you know sometimes nine o'clock at night um, and we would just be exhausted so you just kind of um, you know you go back to your room you crash and you get back up and do it again the next uh, next morning my point of that is that a lot of the times when we were eating uh, dinners and sometimes the lunches as well we're just kind of eating to survive like uh, oh my body needs nutrients because I you know we've been walking around in 80 degree um, 80% humidity weather where it's all you know super muggy and sticky and gross so um I also found that I've become halfway proficient with chopsticks. Um, something that I've that, that's never really been my thing in the past. I I'm not so much the guy that will get a fork at a traditional uh, Asian restaurant. I'll try to use chopsticks, but I know that I'm not especially adept with them. Like uh, famously, there was a time I I went out to. Uh, um, uh, Chinese restaurant with um, with some friends and you know how you get like the wood chopsticks there together and you have to split them well I wouldn't split them so what I would do is I would kind of like push them apart a little bit and kind of pinch my food so that I'm so that I was able to uh, eat it that way um, but yeah no I I, I didn't find anything uh, resembling of what what we would consider to be um, American Chinese food or Western Chinese food. It was uh, everything was all um, I don't want to be insensitive. It was all it was all very unique. It was all very unique. <laughs> China. Um, okay, so our my uh, next question comes from Dan, my uh, uh, my old buddy Dan Salapek, who I used to work with back when I was doing inventory. Um, he, was, he was a good dude to work with. So he asks, um, were you allowed in the city or were you forbidden question mark um that being an obvious reference to uh the forbidden city um that is one of the uh, uh places that we did go in beijing it was uh it, it was one of the cool things we um we actually went to the forbidden city um right after going through tiananmen square um because basically you walk across tiananmen square and then go into the forbidden city um, yeah, Forbidden City, not so forbidden anymore. It's it's basically a huge tourist attraction. In fact, everywhere we went is a huge tourist attraction. This was um, one of the challenges for me, honestly. It was um, lots of people. Lots of people. I, um, I, I haven't quite tried to... I, I, I haven't exactly figured this one out about myself because like, you know, I mentioned earlier that when you travel, you learn things about yourself. Um, I don't do well with crowds. You know, if it's hot and I'm muggy and sticky and gross and people are being like really pushy and shovey and it's uh, it just um, I, I literally just shuddered even as I uh, said that sentence to you um, uh, really bugs me, really, really bugs me. But yet I can go to a Comic Con and be OK. You know, be in the uh, uh, Washington State Convention Center with about 100,000 people for Emerald City Comic Con and still be relatively okay. Um, so, yeah, I mean, maybe that's a little incongruous, but uh, but yeah, it was it was just kind of interesting um, how poorly I did with so many people being around. Um, but. Uh, you know, Dan's question makes me uh, want to bring up another point. Now, China is a communist country, um, but 
it's not the type of communism that I guess I thought it was. I guess when I hear that a country is communist, I think of Soviet Russia. You know, uh, in in Soviet Russia, you you stand in breadline, and you know all the all this other um, incredibly stereotypical um, notions that that we might have, and it's not that. It's weird. Like um, um, economically, it's it's almost very a capitalist in that you know it appears to be a freer market. You know, merchants can uh, name their own prices. There's competition, uh, economic competition. I mean, and so you know, it, it it didn't walking around. It didn't feel like these were an oppressed people. Um, that being said, you do turn your head on the uh, city streets and you can see cameras everywhere. Uh, the state is always watching. Um, I mean, more so than, I mean, like, you know, I, I live in Seattle and, you know, there there's these red light cameras. There's, you know, but in China, you can see where these are just straight up surveillance cameras. And so that, that was mildly... Um, unsettling, um, but I, I think that's that's where perhaps the the uh, for lack of a better term the communism shows. But for my observation, this this isn't your dad's communism. Meaning that this isn't the red menace that you know we had to stamp out in the fifties. Um, you know, one of one of the things that that really struck me is how much uh, national pride uh, the Chinese people that we uh, encountered have. Like, all of the tour guides, like, as they are, you know, uh, telling us about their city and uh, the uh, places that we're going, everything was just just, uh, uh, very prideful, um, almost boastful, actually. Um, And and I'll come back to... um, some of that in a minute because I have uh, um, some thoughts and observations on that as well. Uh, but yeah, no, uh, a tourist can freely uh, walk through the the Forbidden City, and and it's um, the thing that I found so striking about going through the Forbidden City and uh, Tiananmen Square actually is how um, vast and empty. Uh, those things are so like for example Tiananmen Square is just I I don't know how large it is but it's it it's vast spaces of nothing and like with uh the walls around the Forbidden City it's just these vast unending walls of nothing Maybe it would just be like this uh, this uh, uh, brick red paint that it was painted. Now, like a lot of the, um, you know, like roofs and trim and all that, that's where you get all of your ornate decorations. But the walls themselves is just an endless sea of red. And so, yeah, so just that vast, stark emptiness was uh, um, was very, very interesting. China, China, China. Um, so moving on, uh, this is uh, this question comes from Steve from the Everything I Learned from Movies podcast. Um, uh, he asks a couple questions. First, uh, where did you go? So I think I'll address that first. We um, we actually traveled to six different cities. Um, as I mentioned before, we flew into Beijing, uh, spent a couple days there. From there, we flew to Shanghai, but we didn't stay there very long. We basically uh, piled onto a bus and drove to Shuzhou. Uh, from there, we went to Wuxi and then Hangzhou. And uh, from Hangzhou, we went back to Shanghai, where uh, we spent some time. And then after that, um, flew to Xi'an, uh, spent some time there, and then flew back to uh, Beijing to connect to a flight home. So the entire trip was 12 days and, yeah, um, uh, six different cities. So it was, uh, again, quite the whirlwind. Um, in, in the middle 
initial portion of the trip, we would basically check into the hotel and get out the following days of worth of clothes and other things that we needed, but then left everything else packed because we would check out immediately the following morning. Um, so that that was that was a little rough. Also, you know, living out of a suitcase uh, kind of saps your energy as well, especially when you are uh, running around um, all day long. Um, uh, it's it's exhausting. <laughs> It really is. Um, but Steve's next question is, uh, ask me thoughts on the holes you poop in. And he um, he elaborates, and uh, actually, he and I went back and forth on Twitter, um, and he said he uh, went there for a month about 10 years ago. He said, amazing experience, but like another world. And I completely agree with that. And I think the thing that was, I would say, the most startling for us were the restrooms, the public bathrooms. Now, I... I <laughs> I don't want to get super graphic, but um, basically, what what would happen is, you know, typically you go. Well, let's you know, let's start with men's rooms. Typically, you walk in. There's a series of urinals and a series of stalls, right? Okay, so the men's rooms in the in the public restrooms in China, you would have two different types of stalls. Sometimes. Basically, in their stalls, what it is instead of a traditional um, sit down, stand up toilet like we're, we're accustomed to, you know, where you, I'm trying to describe a toilet, you know, you, 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 you can sit on it. In China, what they have is what essentially amounts to a hole in the floor. Um, and what's really odd, though, is that it was a large porcelain hole in the floor. So it, it wouldn't be like, say, an outhouse. This was actually like a, a, a toilet mechanism of some kind where basically you essentially squat, do your business, and then you can flush it like a traditional toilet, which was, I, I will freely admit, I didn't use one. Never did. Um, uh, Because sometimes what would happen is they would have like six of the squat ones and then like one or two of the uh, traditional seat kind, uh, presumably for Westerners. And if that's what I needed to do, I would wait. And and I, I feel bad for the ladies because, you know, we we always joke about how long it takes ladies to go to the restroom because they go in groups and all that other fun stuff. Well, well, we had all of that plus having to wait for the uh, for the Western toilet. So um, so, yeah, there, there, there were some built in. Uh, delays there that um, that ended up being um, a little bit of a challenge sometimes. Um, but yeah, that uh, that's probably the one thing that really, really took me aback. Um, and I, I the restrooms were so gross. They were so filthy. I can't think of a public restroom that I went into one where you couldn't smell it a hundred yards out. And as soon as you would you would walk in, it would just hit you like 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 a pungent wall. And it was just oh so gross. Um, you know, even just going in just to just to take a leak, it'd just be like, okay, I gotta get this done because I'm starting to feel nauseous from how how this all is. Um it just is. It, it, it was. It was gross. Um, but anyway, so so yeah. I mean that that's. I guess that's my thoughts on on uh, <laughs> the the type of um, uh, toilets they had. You go over to China. China. Uh, moving on. Uh, this one is from Johnny White Trash at White Trash Show uh, out on Twitter. Um, they ask, did they have a Tim Hortons asking for a friend? Well. You know, like like I mentioned, uh, a lot of our traveling companions were uh, from Canada, and you know, I I don't 
I don't remember specifically seeing a Tim Hortons, nor do I remember any of our traveling companions either pining for one or saying that they had seen one. But what uh, what that doesn't mean that there weren't uh, Western restaurants to be had. Like, uh, you know, I, I talked about how most of the lunches and dinners were provided um, or, or arranged uh, through the uh, travel agency. But there were also a couple where it wasn't. So like there was a uh, one night in particular where we were on our own. And what we did was we um, uh, walked from the hotel um, to a local mall. Um, it was a, you know, just this, this ginormous shopping center. And it's, it's interesting. Cause you know, like the, the cities were um, a combination of dingy, and brightly lit like half of it was like something out of Blade Runner and the other half was like I I don't know just uh, you know just just run down and dirty and all of that but but this mall we went to had just like wall-to-wall uh, like LED video screen. I mean, again, like like the only comparison I can make is like something out of Blade Runner, where you know it it is lighting up the entire city block. Um, you walk in and there were several floors. I want to say four or five floors, but there was one floor in particular that had uh, several restaurants on it, and it had several Western restaurants. Like we found a KFC. Incidentally, KFC is huge in China. I would say even larger than some of the other fast food chains because um, a lot of the protein, a lot of the the meat that that they eat, and this checks out with what we were served with um, a lot of our meals, is, you know, chicken and poultry. So, you know, KFC actually kind of checks out and makes sense. Um, but while they didn't have a Tim Hortons, they did have um, McDonald's. Uh, we so we had to have uh, uh, McDonald's hamburgers, and it was it, it, that was a funny experience because you know obviously we don't speak the language, um, you know, and Google Translate gets you a little bit, but the cool part is is like the the uh, um, when you when you go up to the counter, you know. Tourists stand out like a sore thumb. You know, we're we're fat. We have big noses. You know, we we look like we're from the West. And basically, what they do is they pull out what is the equivalent of just like a placemat, almost like a kids menu type thing. And you just kind of point at what you want. It was it was it was great. Uh, we almost downloaded the McDonald's app because um, they're they're huge with that, but eh, we di- we didn't deal with it. But um, the thing that was interesting is that whenever we had anything from a Western restaurant, whether it was uh, McDonald's or uh, later in the trip, we would go, we, we found a Papa Murphy's, a sit, uh, I'm sorry, not Papa Murphy. Uh, we found a Papa John's, a, uh, a sit down Papa John's restaurant and had in and had sit down pizza. And, it was interesting because um, everything tasted the same, kinda. Meaning, like, you know, um, we got a Big Mac and it tasted like a Big Mac mostly there was but there was like something off and same thing with the pizza like there was something off that that we couldn't quite articulate why it tasted different but something tasted a little bit different and and so that was so that was kind of interesting but yeah no um uh tons of western restaurants including um one uh, a restaurant called kung fu i have no idea what it was we didn't get a chance to explore but basically their their um uh, uh mascot was bruce lee you know, so it'd be like, you know, Bruce Lee in a yellow suit, kind of, you know, doing a, um, a Bruce Lee pose. And that was that was the, the mascot for that restaurant. And it was uh, um, I, I thought that was pretty interesting. I wonder if the the um, uh, Lee estate would have something to say about uh, Kung Fu restaurants in China. But China, China. 
Uh, next question comes from uh, Ruan. That's uh, at rated Ruan on Twitter and asks, is General So's chicken better there? And he sent me a, a, a cool gif of, um, you know, uh, General So chicken being basically crazy nonsense. Yeah, General So chicken, completely a Western ad- uh, invention. And we didn't find anything close to it. Um, In fact, we didn't really find any kind of like fried uh, much of anything because like, you know, General So, it's like when it's really good, it's like it's fried and then it's, uh, you know, coated in the sauce and all that other stuff. The traditional Chinese food is nothing like it. So it's like, it's not like, again, you go to Panda Express and get orange chicken. I mean, I mean, there was nothing like that at all it was it was uh it was crazy so um no the general so chicken was not better there because it does not exist china i love them china uh, my next question comes from my buddy Killing Spree at Late Night Death. Um, and he and I were talking about other stuff, but he uh, also asked me, um, is the water that bad in China? And it is. It totally is. Um, when we were driving around, you know, we, we, we also took a couple uh, lake and canal cruises and the water is just filthy. You know, it, it's it's gray. There's garbage floating around in it. It's just gross. Um, it, uh, it it reminded Killing Spree of the end of Friday the 13th Part 8. You know, uh, Jason takes Manhattan, you know, where like he's uh, uh, vomiting uh, gray liquid toxic sludge. And really, the water kind of looked like that. Now, that being said, the tap water didn't look like that. Um, but that being said, you're still not supposed to drink the water. Like, in fact, in the hotel, there's even a sign on the sink that says water is not potable. Uh, we brushed our teeth with bottled water, um, you know, from uh, everybody, even the locals. Everybody says, do not drink the tap water unless like you boil it or whatever. Uh, the hotels provided bottled water for us. So it was, you know, we, we never really went without water too terribly much other than just maybe our our uh, poor planning poor choices on what we carried with us but um but yeah no um uh, the water is indeed that bad um yeah and, and i think that's kind of the case for um a lot of uh, foreign countries, you know, obviously like, you know, in Mexico, it's very infamous, you know, don't drink the water and same thing holds true in China. Um, next question comes from Emma, actually, uh, Emma, Emma, Emma. Um, she was, uh, one of, uh, my interns on my KGRG show, um, uh, her along with her friend Vivian, she asked me, uh, did you experience any cultural shocks on that trip? And um, I did a little bit. Um, I already talked about the restrooms. That was probably the biggest thing. Um, the next biggest thing was just um, how how dirty the cities would be. Like, there would be, you know, just garbage in the streets. Um one of the things that that really kind of struck me is when you drive around in the cities, you will see um, apartment buildings that are all stacked together that all look identical and they're they're almost of skyscraper height and they are just filled with apartments and everybody's got their laundry outside they're you know just uh, um, uh, sun drying their clothes and things like that you know like some of the some of the apartments would have washers some wouldn't um but the but the thing it, it almost reminded me of lego buildings like, you know, the, these buildings, there would be a half a dozen of them sometimes that looked identical, that would all be in a grouping. 
and yeah, it just uh, so so that type of architecture was um, was a little startling. Um, almost kind of like reminded me of something like you would see in Judge Dredd. You know, like you know, just uh, th- this is what Mega City One would look like, where you know, again, it's all of these um, uh, similar buildings so close together, and it was an interesting contrast with how um, beautiful a lot of the buildings were, like especially in Shanghai, like, uh, um, you know, the, the skyline is just breathtaking with how just how cool these buildings look, you know, a lot of um, elaborate construction and they, they, they just they just look really, really cool. Um, but, you know, the. As I said, this this wasn't so much a culture shock for me, but um, the thing that I did want to say is again the the um, uh, the national pride that that came from everybody. Everybody that we encountered is proud of their Chinese culture, their Chinese people, and it, it was it almost became uh, almost a joke. Sometimes, because um, you know, something I haven't mentioned yet. A lot of what our trip entailed, and a lot of the destinations we went, ended up being kind of, for lack of a better term, kind of sales calls. Like they would take us to the Jade Factory so that you could, you know, buy jewelry. You know, there was a, a pearl farm and jewelry factory. Same thing. Uh, we went to the um, a silk factory where there's a large store where you can go and buy stuff. So basically, like a lot of these destinations had to do with a degree of salesmanship. Like, let me explain to you why green tea is so amazing and why you need to buy all of this green tea, because if you drink it, you will live forever, basically. Um, you know, and how green tea can heal um, essentially everything. Um, and after a while, especially when you've been doing this for, you know, over a week, it, it gets a little repetitive. But what I'm meaning to refer to is just how um, almost cartoony the the boasting would be. So it was when we were in Wuxi and apparently uh there, there were the sweeping government changes to uh, reduce the smog and pollution in the air. And our tour guide was like, you know, before we had, you know, we had we had much pollution and so much in the air. Now we get 250 days a year of uh, clear sky, clear sky for over 200 days. And again it's just after a while it's like okay and and the thing that we would talk about amongst ourselves would be okay well if if china is so technologically advanced and has uh this boastful prideful people basically it would come across like they're incredibly advanced almost more advanced than um uh, us westerner people you know just in terms of you know uh medical innovation and you know traditional chinese medicine and things like that and and the thing that we would say to ourselves is if they are so advanced as they as we're being um uh, pushed to believe why can't they keep the streets clean you know why why is the water undrinkable you know um and and it's and it's interesting one of one of the biggest uh culture shocks that i got was seeing a society that has been around since ancient times compared to um, like in America where you know our country is really only just over 200 years old so we don't have that depth of history in in America specifically now obviously in Europe sure but I've never been there so you know but but yeah I mean to see um, things that are literally a thousand years old um that that 
was sobering in a way in that it, it gives you perspective on, you know, maybe where we as uh, Westerners kind of sit in the, um, I don't know, in, 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 in the history of culture, um, because we just don't have that same history as other, uh, other cultures in the world. So, um, but also I would say that we were incredibly insulated. And what I mean by that is that, uh, one of the services that we got through our, our tour group is I, you know, I talked about the bus earlier and what would happen is we, uh, Essentially, we would get guided tours from English-speaking tour guides. All of the the tour guides that we had, and we would have local tour guides uh, from uh, their individual city. So, like, we would get into a new city, and then we would be joined by the local tour guide who would tell us about their city specifically and the history and their experience and all that. It was very, very cool. Um, but everybody spoke very good good English and you know so communication was never really a challenge uh, the only time we really ran into that is when we would go exploring and you know had had some difficulties at some of the hotels as well um, but but we were insulated in that it's not like we were just cut loose uh, all willy-nilly on the streets of Beijing or the streets of Shanghai you know we we were with our group so there you know there were 38 Eight of us with a uh, tour guide with a flag, uh, so we didn't. You know, th- there were there was never really too much of that feeling of oh my god, I'm lost. You know, uh, I'm I'm in a culture that I don't understand. I don't speak the language. You know, and a lot of times, like I mean, I I, I had a couple conversations with people using Google Translate. We would each have our phones. Um, like I would, um, you know, say something and then play it for them. They would say something and play it for me. It was actually kind of cool. Um, I I hadn't had that um, experience before, but what uh and and uh, uh, my friend Larry pointed this out you know you can get by a lot with grunting and pointing (laughs) um and and there's a lot of english phrases that um that that the people we ran into understood like you know when we're in a market and you say how much you know they, they they can answer China. So, uh, um, moving on, the uh, next question we have is from uh, Jerry and Cal, um, and asks very simply, "Can you see yourself staying there?" Um, you know, I, I, this was an amazing once in a lifetime trip. In that, I only need to do it once in my lifetime. I'm grateful that I went. I'm happy I had the opportunity, and this really kind of helped me with some of my um, insecurities regarding travel. Um, I, I think I feel a little more equipped and comfortable to travel internationally now. Um, now that I've done it, I'm not not so afraid of it. Um, but in terms of staying there, I um, no. No, um, you know, if, if circumstances were right and we had the opportunity to do another vacation that was perhaps less grueling, because I mean, like like I keep talking about, I mean, th- this was very challenging. Because um, yeah, I mean, you're you're spending so much time on the bus. Um, you know, nerves are starting to get frayed. You're getting tired. Uh, the climate. I mean, it was. Um, it was in, I would say, kind of like the low to mid 80s the whole time, uh, very sunny. Um, and for me, I was just hot and sticky and gross. And I, I don't like being hot. Um, I would rather be cold and put on a jacket. I mean, honestly, that's why I live in Seattle. I mean, you know, I was born and raised here. I like it here. So I, uh, I, I, you know, I, I always pick on people like, uh, uh, like my buddy Dave, who lives in Arizona. I'm always picking on him for how hot it is. So I I, I, I don't like the heat. But, um, but yeah, no, the climate. And um, also, 
I kind of, from my observation, it doesn't look like in China there's really much of a middle class to speak of. Meaning, like, you could see people are very affluent. You know, I think, like, the super rich are super rich, and everybody else is just trying to get by. And that's hard. Like, one of the things that we discovered uh, towards the end of our trip is basically the tour guides are essentially just um, uh, working for tips. You know, like the, like the the travel agency doesn't actually pay them. They they live and work and deal um, off of their tips, which was a real eye opening experience for me. I was like, oh, oh, that that changes things a little bit. So, um, I I couldn't see myself staying there. Um, I, you know, maybe if there were, if I could stay in one place for a slightly more extended period of time, maybe that would be okay uh, for another visit. But yeah, no, no interest in moving or or anything like that. China. So um, I got a few more questions, um, and then um, then I kind of want to kind of um, kind of go through some of the some of the highlights of the trip for you. Um, but oh man, my my buddies at the Robin Slim Show, 